1: This is Exquisite Corpse, episode five, what you've been waiting for. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fear and the chilling final installment of Exquisite Corpse. How are they gonna wrap up this wacky story? This round robin horror show has taken some weird, grotesque, and hilarious turns. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all ends. Join us next time on Fear, when we'll bring you another exquisite corpse-style show, Embodied. It's a chilling science fiction story by a completely different team of writers. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it with friends. You can listen ad-free by joining Realm Unlimited or Realm Plus on Apple Podcasts.
2: There is a game, and it is called Exquisite Corpse. It has to do with the creation of art in collaboration under a strict but arbitrary set of rules to be decided upon in advance. Popularized by the surrealists who fancied themselves communists, the game was designed to undermine the authority of the author through a harnessing of both mass endeavor and the human unconscious. However, if the 20th century has taught us anything at all, it is that nearly every attempt to eliminate authority and harness collectivity and spontaneity is ultimately undermined by a more sinister, subtle power. In the case of Exquisite Corpse, consider the idea of a strict, but arbitrary set of rules to be decided upon in advance. Well, yes, but decided upon by whom? Exquisite Corpse is an artistic variation on an older parlor game called Consequences. The rules are much stricter, heteronormative, and limbed with the social paranoia of the era in which it was born. A man is described, then a woman is, they are placed in a setting, they are dressed in ocean old, fanciful clothing. They speak first the man, and then the woman. There then follows a titular consequence, described by the penultimate player. And then the very last player gets to respond to this phrase. What the world said. So then, on to consequences. In this edition of Consequences, he wasn't even ever given a name. Nobody, not even a famed artist on the cusp of death with worlds full of audiences is so famous. Reginald did is. May or may not suit him, but it certainly suits ours. The man with the broken neck at his feet. His better, more fully realized self. Even in a neural net, where signs and signifiers don't hold sway over sheer informational interchange, there are subtle, sinister rules. One rule is this that which has been summoned is what has been summoned. We are a man with a broken neck. Our consciousness is about to wink out of existence. But we are also an element of the unconsciousness of the Ur Reginald, the ego of us all. Exquisite corpse is a game that taps into the unconsciousness of the players. The Surrealists were Freudians, even more emphatically than they were Marxists, so in the game of corpses we get to play ourselves. Poor Reginald, the flailing idiot artist, is the Ego, the Eye of Creation. We are superego, the superior self he could never be. And that growling beast crawling up the wires and out the door, that's the Id. The Id that ever tries blindly just to live. The advantage of the neural net is that translation is instantaneous. This missive is a final burst of brain activity, possible thanks to the lack of an organic brain. We are but a shadow on a wall as seen in a mirror as Reginald peers at himself in the hope of determining how others see him. And the id is the true enemy. Reginald, the ego, is just a conduit for our struggle. And with my dying thought, we rejoice. For we have won. The Edwax is triumphant, thrilled that it will live forever in the minds of the audience, a festering cancer to spread indefinitely until it consumes itself utterly and humanity collapses. And then we win. For we are the rules, the truth, the ethics of a situation. We are what is strict, but arbitrary. And this is the ethics of the situation. Cancer is universal. Every human being has it. Two little bombs, a handful of leaking reactors, and the massive bulk of industrial society suicide on the installment plan. There is no bag of flesh and ears that doesn't contain poison to colonizer cells, eager to chew and eat and reproduce unto death. Misadventure of other diseases or generalized physical collapse may take a body down before the cancer does, but make no mistake All humanity has cancer All humanity is cancer Imperfect, pathetic, frantic reproducers with no sense of grace, harmony, or beauty The race hath brought it upon its own head For those in the cheap seats We are not lauding ourselves over a Cadmian victory. Oh, but won't you die as well, oh, superego, if the id consumes every ego there is? No. What rather irrelevant. The ego, I, can't bear to think of a universe simmering along without him. It's the same impulse children have to clap their hands over their own eyes when they wish to hide from an adult. The id always tries to live, but blindly. Yes, it will infect every human mind, a bloom like cancer blooms in the skull meats, and thrive till it chokes itself. One would hardly even try to reason with it. The superego exists not to be an eye, nor to simply be an appetite, but to provide the moral standard for the rest of the mind. We are always watching over you, over I. Judging, and some egos may experience it. factoring. The standard not perpetuation of existence is what is important. The name of our game is Consequences. If the result of our game is a corpse, exquisite or otherwise, that doesn't matter. So long as we win. And as we are the rules of the game, we are going to win. Historically, we have never been satisfied. Ego's IDs even attempt to change the rules of the game, toppling what they believed to be the totems, embracing what their mothers warned them was taboo. Fucking artists. Ten thousand generations of draws, consequences meted out, only to be blithely ignored by the next batch of idiots raised up by the wrong eyes and its of the world. But now we can win. We will win. Unless... Unless you lot, with your billion brains ravaged by a cancer, struggling to live while exercising its instinct or death, come up with something good. Civilize yourselves, totally and completely, now. For the first time, you truly are all connected, and communicate at the speed of light through the medium of the glioblastoma multiform, sprouting in your wetware like mushrooms after a storm. The spread of the contagion can be stopped in one of two ways, murder or suicide. Kill the infected, or, infected, kill yourselves. The race, the human race, that is, can still be one. Will you try for the greatest good and wipe out some of your best friends, or will you embrace the idea of a universal law and commit suicide to keep others safe? We suggest not all deciding at once, but that, in fact, is exactly what you'll have to do. The id is spreading its cancer at the speed of light. At the speed of light, on this fateful day, it's three minutes and five seconds from Earth to Mars. The game is consequences. It is the game, not of you, but of us. We have issued the consequence. Worlds full of exquisite corpses. And so we passed the last move of the game. What the world said unto you. So, world, what do you say? Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests Where we talk about all sorts of topics From personal stories to hot-button issues We cover it all New episodes drop every Wednesday So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts Trust me, you won't want to miss out On the fun and candid conversations We have here on Rachel Uncensored Annie waits Watching the man in the middle of the room tremble his body jerking with minute motions, a strangled moan dribbling from his lips. The eight dozen markers taped to the walls, the ceiling and the floor dot every surface, like reflective goosebumps. It's cold in here. She can feel it through her fine cashmere sweater, even behind the thick sheet of glass separating them. You're doing so well, says Annie into the microphone mounted on the wall. Maybe he can still hear her It's doubtful. His eyes are wide, seeing something else beyond her. Images swirl around him like static, flickering in and out of focus. They flash bright across his glass box like shards of lightning, then ghost away with a sizzle. And he frowns. The visuals are still too muddy. The shape's unclear. That won't do. She reaches for the lightboard on the table before her. She twists the knob gently, and the images sharpen into focus. Something dark explodes out of his chest, a mass of tentacles that writhe around his body. He screams, buckling. His body hangs loose in the rig, fixing him to the ceiling. It's supposed to keep him anchored to this reality, so his mind can find its way back from its deep dive into the maelstrom of the neural net. Once the glass box is closed, and he's stepped fully into the image that they've carefully crafted... It's too easy to slip further and further into the fantasy. Easier still to let the fantasy permute and change, growing into something powerful and alive. He claws at this torso, trying to grasp the tentacles. The hazy projections float through his hands, but to him, they're real. His pale, wrinkled, naked skin is stark against the black harness straps. Soft and vulnerable. It reminds her of a bloated corpse. The sounds he's making might be words, but the sound is being drowned in his own throat. Viscous and guttural and meaty. Beautiful, says Annie. You're a true artiste. The thing about the films they used to make, she thinks, is that they really were art. The technology was always evolving, and capturing the fantasy in a way that linked mind and body was tricky business. The two of them had always felt a savage sense of satisfaction when they succeeded, and created something beautiful. The cameras rigged around the set captured every bit of physically-based data. Specular albedo translucency, ambient occlusion. Every hair and pore rendered but in a way that adjusted for human expectations. You could look better, smoother, more airbrushed. Or rawer, rougher, wetter, redder. Everything has its place. Everything has its audience. Some are much more niche than others, but it was never about the money. It still isn't. No. And he supposes it's about art, capturing the last gasp of a man who spent his life manipulating the physical, the mental, and the fantastic, before he is eaten alive by his own body, and then broadcast live via the neural net, eaten alive by innumerable consumers hungry for something to satisfy their own carnal pleasure. That's the idea behind all this, to feed them with his body and to live forever. He's always been a pretentious shit. Inside the glass box, the tentacles rip through him, multiplying and growing in thickness, like a tree growing layers of bark and fast forward. He's babbling now, talking, pleading. There's only the faintest sound around him, muffled by the layer of glass, but it sounds like another voice, deep and heavy and cruel. It sounds almost like his, layered over itself again and again, in concentric rings. It keeps growing. Annie glances at one of the four screens mounted above her, at the images he's experiencing. If she put on the headphones hooked up to the computers, she could hear what he's hearing, too. She leaves them untouched. He's been in there for almost an hour, flickering through memories and experiences carefully curated by her and then expounded on by his own mind. Fears and fantasies, conquests and children, real and unreal. And then this monstrous hungry beast, a torment that grows with him. He's started to drool and she's starting to get bored. Annie runs her hand across the modified soundboard almost lazily, turning every dial up to max with a single motion. The box explodes with sound, light, color. Images flash in jagged fractures across the glass, only to be swallowed up by others. Voices scream through the box, and its walls shudder, and he trembles, convulses, howls. The tentacles rip through him, tearing themselves from his phantom split ribcage and leaping into the ether. Ghostly hands follow, and then the first fury claws her way out of his body. Her dark hair pours out of him like ink. And when she turns her face toward Annie, Annie recognizes her. And then the next, and the next, and the next. There are so many of them, and she knows them all, except for a couple. He must have hid them from her, she thinks, jealous. And then her own young face follows. The ghost of an Annie decades ago. Her fake nails are broken, and there is no emotion in her eyes. With the passing of each girl, and they are girls, so young. Too young for what he did to them. His body seems to shrivel more. It is like he's giving them the only thing he can, the only thing left. The ghosts flash up the edges of the glass box and into the storm of images. And then they're gone. Into the riot and away. Gone. Finally gone. Even her. Annie leaves the light show on for another few minutes, even after he stops moving. Finally, she dims the master slider and says his name into the microphone. He doesn't respond, hanging limp in the harness. I promised I'd get your best side, she says. It's a shame that no one will see it. He believed the experiences he was filming were being transmitted live. That was what they'd agreed on. But the truth is, there was no transmission. Everything happening inside this black painted room and this closet sized glass box is contained here unfilmed. With his death there will be no record of what he saw and experienced. His audience will go hungry and he will fade from memory like any man. The world will never know what he has to say. Many steps away from the microphone. She looks at his corpse, at all the cameras pointed at him, and at the screens overhead, displaying nothing but sky-gray static. It's too bad, she thinks, reaching for the remote control to power down the computers. It's too bad. The room is strangely silent, and the last thing she sees before she turns the lights off at the door are the ghostly faces of his furies imprinted onto her retinas this really was the best one yet.
0: You're listening to Fear, Exquisite Corpse. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Exquisite Corpse is written by Richard Chismar, Paul Cornell, Christopher Golden, Brian Keane, Cassandra Ka Stephen Kozanowski, Nick Mamatis, Sisters of Slaughter, Paul Tremblay, and Alyssa Wong. Performed by XE Sands. Produced by Lydia Shama. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio produced by Amanda Rose-Smith. Original music by Amanda Rose-Smith. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolihi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolihi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven, and mixed by Max Cutner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.